It's philosophy talk. Imagine if America was a dictatorship. Why would anyone find anything appealing in authoritarianism? You could let 1% of the people have all the nation's wealth. You could help your rich friends get richer by cutting their taxes. Why would people willingly sacrifice their freedom to be governed by a despot? You could use the media to scare the people into supporting policies that are against their interests. How did we get to the point where so many industrialized nations are on the verge of authoritarianism? Democracy is the worst! Endless talking and listening to every stupid opinion! Our guest is Michael Lynch, author of Know-It-All Society, Truth and Arrogance in Political Culture. The allure of authoritarianism. Your Excellency, is that even the way to say it? Yes, Mr. Yes, please, please. Mr. Mayor, whatever. Supreme Leader. Supreme no. Leader. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Why do some people find authoritarianism appealing? Are humans just naturally drawn to tyrants? Or is it because of weaknesses in democracy? Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Accept your intelligence. I'm Josh Landon. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW San Francisco. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus, where Ken teaches philosophy, and I direct the Philosophy and Literature Initiative. Today, we're thinking about the allure of authoritarianism. Allure? There's no allure, Ken. I mean, authoritarian leaders... They throw their opponents in jail. They, they close universities. They demolish the free press. I mean, if people go along with that, it's because they're forced to. No one wants to live under Stalin. Josh, I, I, I wish that were true, but man, have you looked around the world? People actually vote for these guys. Sometimes millions and millions of people. I mean, take Hitler. He didn't seize power. He won it in a democratic election. And you know, there were even Jews who voted for him in 1932. Okay, but you know, people like that who vote for authoritarians, they're not making an informed, rational choice, Ken. I mean, they're deluded. Their, their heads are addled with a bunch of, of propaganda. Well, I agree there are a lot of addle-headed voters, but I don't think I think also there are a lot of them are are acting uh, completely rationally and actually acting on their deepest values for very compelling reasons. Come on, Kim, what are you talking about? Oh, uh, look, look, look. I'll bring it to your domain, Josh. You're a soccer fan, right? Mhm. And you you your team is from I think I heard you say from Liverpool. You'll never walk alone. Uh, I have no idea what that means, but I'll take that as a yes. Okay, so you as a Liverpool fan despise fans of, what's that other team, the like evil empire team? Manchester United. I, I can't stand those smug gits. Oh, I don't know what a smug git is either, but again, I'll take that as a yes. So come on, let's imagine something. Imagine that Manchester United has taken over the Premier League. They've bribed all the referees. They've, like, they've fixed the rules and the appeal system. They've infiltrated the back pages of the newspapers, so you know, they're, they're hell-bent on making sure that other teams just don't get a fair shake. That would actually explain a lot. <laughs> okay, Josh. So now imagine a charismatic figure comes along. He's going to, he's going to save soccer from the, from the, you know, someone you, you trust. He, he embodies your deepest aspirations for soccer. Steven Gerrard? Oh, yeah, okay, Steven Gerrard. I have no idea who that is, but Steven Gerrard comes along. He tells you Liverpool fans, I am going to restore fairness to the beautiful game. I'm going to make soccer great again, or would he say, make football great again. I'm going to fight for the little guy, for the real 
football fan, not those arrogant usurpings. What did you call them? Gits. Yeah, gits. But but hang on, Ken. Look, I am assuming that your Steven Gerrard is is going to like shut down the free soccer press. He's gonna he's gonna put the manager of Manchester United in jail and and seize all power for himself. That's tyranny. I, I want my football freedom. You are going to get football freedom. You're going to gain more football freedom. Does freedom from those scuzzy usurping gits? They're the only ones who might lose a little freedom. And come on, admit it. Admit it. You think they deserve to lose their freedom for what they've done. I don't know, Ken. I mean, pretty soon they're going to start coming for the Chelsea fans and then the Arsenal fans. You think that's a bad thing? Well, we shouldn't be opening the floodgates on this. I mean, if the Manx really were rigging the system, what Liverpool should do is go through channels. Lodge an official protest. Use the institutions of soccer democracy. Gosh, Josh, how can you be so naive? You can't count on democracy when the scuzzy gits, the usurping gits, have rigged the system. And look, even at its best, you've got to admit, democracy is slow and creaky and super messy. I'm with Winston Churchill on this, Ken. I mean, democracy is the worst system, except for all the other systems oh, that have been tried. Oh, I know, I know. That's a r- ritual incantation of Churchill. <laughs> but let's put the, the sincerity of that incantation to the test. I know you think the American Second Amendment is an abomination. Well, suppose you could abolish the Second Amendment by seizing total control for just a day. Wouldn't you do it? Wouldn't you do it in order to make America safe again? I'm going to plead the Fifth Amendment on that one, Ken. <laughs> Touche, Josh. But look, here's what I will say. I mean, if people really do have reasons for electing a strongman, those reasons are usually terrible. I mean, 10 to 1, it's a deep-seated disdain for people who are different, a disdain that's totally irrational. Totally irrational, unlike your hatred of those scuzzy usurping Manchester gets, right? Well, touche again. <laughs> well, look, look, I can see we're not going to agree completely on this. Maybe we should get some help from a roving philosophical reporter, Shireen Adol, who was a witness to the Egyptian uprising in 2011 at the height of the Arab Spring. She files this report. The day the protests started, I was there. I grew up in Cairo, and at the time, I was home from grad school. I knew there would be protests, but I didn't think they would get so big or have such an impact. Social media has played such an integral role in getting protesters out into the streets and demonstrating in Egypt the last several days. Of course, we've been watching uh, the social media revolution as well as the real-life revolution across the Middle East. But for a lot of people, the real-life revolution didn't start that day. I am definitely not someone who is into activism or really engaged in any political thing within Egypt simply because there was no politics and there was no political system. Recently, I talked to one of my friends from high school about it. He asked to remain anonymous because of the most recent wave of protests, but we'll get back to that later. Like me, he didn't immediately jump into action that first day, but the protests gained momentum. And then I wake up on Friday, Jan 28th, they had cut off internet completely, and they cut off all cell phone service. I actually had to use my landline for the first time in I don't know how many years. So he made up his mind. I was like, screw this, like, I'm, that is way too intrusive and ridiculous. And I was thinking, okay, like, I need to go down and see this. Next thing I know, yeah, I'm in the middle of a huge protest, like, chanting and <laughs> being a part of it. Somehow, that dictator, Hosni Mubarak, 
unified everyone against him. So people I have fundamental issues with on so many levels. During those hours, I was like 100% unified with them to try and achieve this one goal. And they did it. Mubarak resigned. The military took power in the interim and began planning elections. But many people questioned its legitimacy and continued to protest. My friend didn't even want to vote. Nonetheless, those elections saw the highest turnout in years. Voting was very exciting for me. It was the first time that I had ever voted in my life. That's Naila Hamdi, a professor in the journalism department at the American University in Cairo. Like my friend, she doesn't consider herself an activist, but she joined the demonstrations on and off. She said the thought of democracy was attractive. I voted at every single election that went on. I haven't missed a single election actually since. But I don't know if I would still continue to vote. That feeling is a little bit dying out for me. So what changed? After the country voted in an Islamist president, Mohamed Morsi, there were more protests. Within a year, the military forced his resignation. In the next election, the military's commander-in-chief, Abdel Fattah el-Sisi, was a candidate. Hamdi supported him. I just thought that we would have a more democratic country, even if the president came from military background. And it was something that we really desperately wanted, because remember, the country was chaotic. The economy was suffering. There was no real police force. I mean, we lived in a jungle. So, you know, really at the time, more than anything else, I was looking for security, stability, some really, really basic things that seem even uh, at the time much more important than complete freedoms. After three years of political turmoil, people had had enough. They hoped a military leader would calm it all down. But stability did not necessarily make things better. These days, the economy is even worse and the state has regained control over the media. But Hamdi doesn't think it's sustainable. Because there are ways to receive information. It's difficult to beat the technology and the savviness of people to receive information. Actually, not just now, but forever, even historically. And she's right. In September of 2019, from the safety of his new home in Spain, actor and real estate developer Muhammad Ali began posting videos accusing the government of improper spending and corruption. His calls for protests brought hundreds to the streets for the first time in years, despite a ban. And the government responded with sweeping arrests, detaining over 1,900 people. The people I spoke to are not hopeful for real change anytime soon. It will require a huge group of people acting against their own benefits to maybe, maybe have a chance to reform things here. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Shireen Adel. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.